just to kick off, let's hear a bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, Dr. TJ Ridley, um, uh, practicing orthopedic surgeon at uh, Twin Cities Orthopedics here in Twin Cities. Um, I specialize in sports medicine. I did a sports medicine fellowship at the Stedman Clinic, which is in Vail, Colorado. Uh, so that's where I get my U.S. ski team background. Um, uh, currently practicing here in the Twin Cities. I've uh, been in practice for seven months now, um, again, after finishing my fellowship. Again, focusing on sports medicine, uh, but kind of all things orthopedics. So, yeah. awesome, awesome, yeah. So today, you know, we're just gonna dive in the rotator cuff. Um, the shoulder injuries are, you know, pretty common. Um, rotator cuff. We're gonna learn all about that, starting with the basics and with the with the muscle groups associated with those. Um, let's get started, though. Once again, guys, my name is Dr. Idu I'm the co-founder here at Connect MD, and we're joined on the stage with Dr. T.J. Ridley. So. To kick off, let's just just, uh, just a brief background of what the rotator cuff is, and let's just break down the muscles to start there. Yeah, so always important to start with the basics, right? And, exactly. and anatomy is is key. So, um, you know, what is the rotator cuff? Well, uh, I have my fancy model here. Perfect. So Perfect. the the rotator cuff is four muscles that then turn into tendons that attach to the humerus. So the, the name cuff or rotator cuff comes from all these tendons that come together to form a cuff around the humerus that really helps suck that humerus into the socket. So again, they start out as muscle valleys as you see in red, and then they transition into tendons, and then those tendons insert on the humerus. So we have one big one in the front called the subscapularis. We have one over the top called the supraspinatus. And then two in the back, the infraspinatus, and then the teres minor. And so those four, you know, they start as muscle bellies on the scapula. And then as they come out laterally and they transition into tendons, then they insert on the humerus. And they come together, you know, like the cuff on of our sleeve. I can't really see it, but they all come together and envelop that humerus. So that's where we get the name cuff. Interesting, interesting. So let's break down that even further with the individual muscles and let's talk about their function. Just so, you know, we get a full understanding of, of each and every muscle associated there. So we, we know- Absolutely, also. yeah. So understanding its function helps you test for it, right? So the subscapularis being in the front, I mean, you think about just simple biomechanics of muscle pulls, right? So it being in the front, it, it, it help, helps rotate that humerus forward. So it actually does internal rotation. Okay. Awesome, awesome. The supraspinatus being up at the top helps you do forward, ele or, you know, forward abduction elevation. Okay. And then the, the two in the back, the infraspinatus and the teres help you do external rotation. So you're kind of keeping that in mind as you're evaluating patients or evaluating yourself, um, you know, what muscles are at work and wh when is it painful? When is it maybe weak? Yeah. yeah, okay, great, great. So now that we know all the kind of the normal functionality with each of the muscles. Let's just dive in with the injury. And, you know, sadly, this does happen. And let, let's start, just break down the, the pathogenesis of these rotator cuff injuries. And let's talk about that, starting with the basics. Yeah, so I think um, I think it's important to know there's there's kind of two main different ways that, that rotator cuffs tear. Of course, there's the acute tear. Somebody's lifting something heavy, feels a pop, and there's a full tear. But the majority of cases are actually kind of on a spectrum of tear. They happen over time. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that, you get a whole spectrum of the severity of the tear. 
So kind of going back to the anatomy of the tendons, they have a thickness to them, and then they also have a width to them. So the main tendon that gets torn is the supraspinous, the one on top here. So here's our shoulder ball, the one on top. So yeah, that's a great question. So there's a thickness to it here, but then there's also a width here. So what happens is, especially in these degenerative ones that happen over time, they get worn out and worn out and you start getting, you know, tearing of part of the muscle fibers. And then over time, it starts to involve a varying thickness of the tendon first. So that's where we get this term partial thickness tears. And it can happen on the top side or the bursal side or the underside, which is the articular side. So that's the side that's facing the joint. And so that, so it happens over time and over time and over time. And often even these acute ones where you feel a pop are actually ones that have been going on for a long time that started as partial thickness that then all of a sudden, you know, that, that last collagen fiber just broke free and now it's a full thickness tear. So again, we have the thickness and then we also have the width of the tendon. So, you know, the thickness we kind of classify as partial thickness, full thickness, or some people give a percentage to it and they talk about the side, the bursal side, the articular side. Well, once it becomes full thickness, then you start talking about the width. And a lot of times that's measured in, you know, millimeters or centimeters, you know, it's, oh, it's a five millimeter full thickness tear. So that's then talking about the width. So I think that really helps understand the, the concept that these tears are, happening over time it's they're not always just one big tear exactly exactly and then how does it how, what's the kind of the presentation you know what is the, the typical individual what are they going to feel and you know what what are some of the complaints they'll have and let's dive in even further what's the typical person look like so you have a brief background of, of what that individual with these rotator cuff injuries looks like yeah so of course there's the classic oh i was lifting you know i was moving stuff in the garage and felt yeah. it pop um so those are, those are kind of the more dramatic type, but I would say the more common type is, you know, uh, middle-aged men and women, but probably mostly men. Um, you know, a lot of people who are laborers or work over, you know, a lot of overhead work and it's just a slow progressive pain in their shoulder. And, and, and normally it's pain, not necessarily weakness, but it's mostly pain. Cause again, these happen on a spectrum. So usually you're seeing them somewhere in that spectrum before they've gone to a full thickness tear. So it's mainly pain, not necessarily weakness. And really what I start seeing at the, when I see them in clinic, what finally brings them in after they've been dealing with it for a couple months is that they can't sleep at night. It starts bothering them at night, starts waking them up. Most, most, most folks can figure out how to deal with the pain during the day, but what really brings them in is when they start having pain at night. Okay. Okay. So that's the typical presentation there. Okay. And then even further then, what are, what are some risk factors then? I know you talked about the, the ones for the, the acute injury, obviously lifting heavy and just those overhead activities. However, for some of those more, um, you know, those chronic ones, what are, what are some of the risk factors we see? Yeah. So that's a good question. So I think it's multifactorial. There's a lot of things at play, um, but patient specific factors, you know, age has a part of it because it's happening over time. Um, I think there is some genetic component, you know, response to micro injury of your tendon and your collagen fibers. How well can your body respond to that? Uh, Anatomic makeup. So one thing that we haven't really talked about, we'll get into, we talk about x-rays and stuff is that space where the rotator cuffs live in. So, you know, this is the acromion up here and those rotator cuffs live underneath the acromion and uh, above the humeral head. So there's this subacromial space in there where, where the bursa lives, 
Um, and that, that can get narrowed either by how you're made up or with arthritis over time of bone spurs creating uh, narrowing of that space. So, you know, there's some of that genetic component and just kind of how you're made up. Mm-hmm. Other things are um, smoking, certainly. And then we're finding, you know, a lot of diet, nutrition, vitamin D, and, yeah. and just healthy lifestyle, things like that. Yeah, um, and that's, that's, that's really important that, you know, that you address that. I and mean, obviously, you know, your background in, in sports and just athletic and, and staying active, definitely, you know, with your patients, I'm, I'm sure that's something that you, you speak about. So, yeah, let's, let's just switch gears now and, and dive into the, the diagnosis. Let's talk, let's start with some clinical tests and, you know, some of the provocative tests that we use. And we'll answer some questions as we go on. I see some great ones already been thrown out. So yeah. let's keep it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, so obviously you talk to the patient, you figure out, okay, what have they been going through? What have they tried already? What are their specific movements that bother yeah. them? Um, and the main things I look for when I'm starting to think in my head, okay, this sounds like a rotator cuff problem. Yeah. Um, the main tests I, you know, I, I, of course, I always start in the same sequence every time. So I, I, I push on certain areas that I worry about. So I look for tenderness. Yeah. Then I look for their range of motion. Then I test their strength. And then I kind of do some more focused, specialized tests. So obviously, you've already done your your other general exam. But what special tests do I do? So um, I, I, of course, look at the biceps because the biceps can often be involved in the rotator cuff injuries. So I do a speeds test, which is you just have them extend their arms straight out, palm up, and try to lift up against resistance. And that puts a lot of stress on the biceps. So that's one one of the first tests I do. Um, and then to test the supraspinatus, which is the most common, I have them do what we call a Job's or I call an empty can sign. So you have them, you bring them out here. So not all the way abduction, not all the way forward flexion, but a little bit in between. Test them here with their thumb up with resistance and then test them with their thumb down. And once you get that thumb down, you really start engaging that supraspinatus. And it's, again, it's not necessarily weakness, but it's more pain. And sometimes it's weakness because of pain. But that's the big one that, that I look for um, for the supraspinatus, which is the most common. I think it's important not to forget about the subscapularis, which is the one on the front. So I test their internal rotation. And it's, I don't just test them starting out here because then they can engage their pack and other things. Yeah. I, do, I really do, I do a belly press. And, and not even just here, you gotta get their elbows forward so it really engages. Okay. And then the other one is a, is a bear hug test. So there was yeah. a couple of new studies that came out that showed the bear hug and the belly press are the two best. So I put them here and I try to resist them here. And if they get a lot of pain or weakness, then I start worrying about that subscapularis. Awesome. Thank you. Great breakdown. You guys are getting top quality teaching. He's, he's standing up and everything. So <laughs> appreciate that. Let's, let's, let's talk now. You know, you just broke that down amazing on, on the clinical tests. So let's talk more on the on the imaging side of things and, you know, break that down with um, x-rays, um, MRI, and let's go from there. Yeah, so my go-to is, uh, you know, of course, I get x-rays almost on everybody coming in. Um, and the things, the first things I look for on x-ray, they're usually not that impressive. X-rays show us the bones, right? They don't actually show us the rotator cuff, but we can get a sense of what's going on in there by the, by the x-ray. So one of the first things I look at on the AP view is I look at the AC joint or the acromioclavicular joint. And if I see large bone spurs underneath, then I'm starting to think that that, that space in here where the rotator cuff yeah. lives in is starting to get okay. narrowed and pinched. And those bone spurs can rub and rub and rub and they're, they're causing irritation, they're causing bursitis, they're causing narrowing of that space down there. 
So that's what I really look at for, for the x-rays. Of course, I look for arthritis and things like that to make me think, well, maybe it's not the rotator cuff, it's arthritis, something else. But yeah. that's the main thing I see on x-rays. Yeah, and then, and then if I still have clinical suspicion that it's an MRI, that, that it's a rotator cuff, then I'm, I'm quick to get an MRI and we can go into that later with treatment. I don't want to delay getting an MRI too often because I worry that if it is a full thickness tear, that's something you want to kind of, you want to know because it changes your treatment. Mm -hmm. So I certainly get an MRI. I don't always get an, an MR arthrogram, which is when they inject dye. I typically, if I'm just thinking rotator cuff, I can see what I need to see with just an MRI. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So a few, a few great questions were asked and they're more yeah, on, the, on the management side of things. So let's just finish talking about um, diagnosis. I think you, you just wrapped up and then we'll dive in and answer some of those questions before we start about talking about the management. So yeah, in terms yeah, of I... diagnosis, um, is there anything else, uh, ultrasound or, or anything else that is used? Yeah. Good point. So um, I don't, that too, yeah. yeah, I don't routinely do ultrasound or send patients out for MRI or ultrasound. I love ultrasound. It's cheap. It's easy. Uh, I have access to it at only one of my clinics. I wish I had more ready, ready access to it. And I'm still, you know, I, it's not something I do every day. So I'm still technically getting better at it. There's radiologists and other non-operative folks that are really good at it. And I think it's very useful. It's coming along. The technology is even better. At some point in time, I wonder if it will replace MRI because yeah. you can do it right there. It's exactly. cheap, it's easy, and you can do it dynamically. You can actually watch their muscles and tendons move in real time. Yeah. And then if you need to, you can do an injection right there. It's all exactly. point of care. So yeah. at some point, I think it's going to replace MRI yeah. for, for a lot of these things, but it's just not there yet. Yeah, and that's, a, that's another great conversation we could have on, on a future session with oh, yeah. one of those specialists that, you know, that frequently uses that. Um, let's uh, answer a few of these and then yeah. start with the management. So. Eric Velez Chua, um, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, I hope so. I, but yeah, he asked, what's the top exercise for dynamic rotator cuff stability? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I'll give kind of my two cents on it, but that's probably a good question for the therapist uh, or the physiotherapist. Um, but my kind of go-to for rotator cuff exercises is, and, and I do these myself, I've had some shoulder stuff. So uh, I do two pound, two and a half pound weights, and I do forward flexion 10 times with my thumbs up, 10 times thumbs flat, and then 10 times thumbs down all in forward flexion. Then I do it in kind of 45 degrees, and then I go 10, 10, 10, and then abduction 10, 10, 10. So they do 90 reps over and over in low weight. So that's one. But one of the big things is, is either TheraBands or resisted bands where you're, you know, you're resisting your internal rotation or you're resisting your external rotation. So Again, going back to the anatomy, whatever you're resisting, that's what you're strengthening. So subscapularis, infraspinatus, more exercises up here, you're getting into your supraspinatus. And it's, it's, and again, this is probably a topic for a physiotherapist. How do you yeah. isolate the rotator cuff from the other muscles of the shoulder, like the deltoid and the pec and all that kind of stuff? So, and that's why we started with talking about the function of each of those right, muscles. Right, right. Exactly why it's important there. So great answer. And, and I think that, that answers um, Jay Horn's 95 um, to add on to that. He asked about resistance bands and if they're a useful tool to, to help. Rebuild. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for they're sure. They're easy that you can put them anywhere. You throw them in your gym bag, you throw them in your work bag. They're super easy to do. There's lots of good stuff on, you know, YouTubes and things like that of rotator cuff exercises. My website, I have a rotator cuff 
rehab kind of therapy protocol that that's from the Academy of Orthopedic Surgery that talks about different rotator cuff strengthening. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll let's answer this one and then. Yeah. I like that let's, question. Let's, let's Are you talking about the one from, from Kendi Lane? Yeah. 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 That's a great question. And that's something I, I, I did uh, forget to talk about. So we talk about impingement syndrome and rotator cuff tears. So they can kind of go together. So, impingement syndrome, defining that is kind of what I'm talking about when this space gets narrowed, it starts impinging on that rotator cuff. And so, especially when you have big acromial bone spurs or AC joint bone spurs, you start get in, getting impingement or pinching of that rotator cuff and primarily the supraspinatus. And that's probably why it's the most common torns because it starts impinging. So you certainly can get, you know, even before you get a rotator cuff tear, remember it's a whole spectrum, on the very beginning of that spectrum is bursitis or tendonitis of that rotator cuff. And that happens because of that impingement is starting to happen. The bursa in this space starts getting inflamed, it starts getting swollen, it starts narrowing that space, it starts rubbing on the rotator cuff and starts irritating the shoulder. So that's often the first sign um, that something's going on, on the shoulder. So that's, that's great. And then one thing I didn't talk about too, with physical exam, one thing I look for is impingement. And my two go-tos for that are, it's NEARS test. So I slightly internally rotate them and I passively bring their arm up. And what that does is it brings that, this is my other shoulder model, it brings this greater tuberosity where that supraspinatus is, is attached to. It brings it up and it starts impinging on that, on that acromion right there. So you can even see them kind of impinging there. So I passively bring them up and if it starts pinching or impinging or they get pain, that's a nears test. And then the other big one is Hawkins test. So I kind of think of it like, like a hawk flapping its wing. So I, I bring their shoulder kind of forward and then I, I passively internally rotate them. And if they don't feel pain there, I bring them across a little bit more. And usually when you start getting them across their body, they start really wincing. That's impingement. That's that, that's that tuberosity where that rotator cuff is coming up and impinging on that acromion. Okay. Great question. Yeah, that was a great question, and uh, thanks for the great answer. Um, so let's let's uh, switch gears. Let's let's talk about the management. There's a lot more great questions being asked, and, and we'll get to those right after. There's just uh, this last component now that we'll discuss. Let's start with uh, non-operative, and you've kind of gone into those um, those exercises already. But um, let's let's break that down even further, and let's talk about you know what you do best too, and that's the the operative side of things afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, most importantly is having the diagnosis right. So, it, and, that, and it really changes your, your, your management. So, I'll first start with kind of the impingement, the tendonitis, and, and the very, you know, partial thickness tears. Not, I'm not talking about full thickness tears or high-grade partial thickness. I'm talking about that early stage of the progression. So, that's when we can consider conservative management. And the mainstay of that, of course, is physical therapy. And, you know, most patients say, well, doc, that's not going to heal my tear. And that's not the goal. The goal is to strengthen the other part, of, the other parts of the shoulder, the other rotator cuff tendons, the other part of that rotator cuff tendon to decrease the stress on that area. And one of the things physical therapy can do is not just strengthen the rotator cuff, but strengthen your scapular muscles to open up that space. A lot of people, they kind of get their posture down here, which closes down that subacromial space. Yeah. So if we can get your posture back, you can open up that space and decrease the, the, 
the stress and the pinching and the impingement on the rotator cuff. So, so I start with that. Um, if they have a partial, if they don't have a full thickness tear, I will offer them a cortisone injection. Um, the cortisone it's, um, you know, there, there are certainly some studies that, that, that suggest it does degrade the, the, the soft tissues of the shoulder, which is why, and I'll talk more about it later, which is why I don't offer it in higher grade tears, uh, because I worry that it's going to progress the tear, but yeah. certainly a, a, a well-done injection into that bursa, that subacromial bursa can give dramatic relief. Um, there's also been a lot of good recent data on the benefit of PRP injection into the bursa. So for those that don't know, PRP is platelet rich plasma. We draw out a little bit of your blood. We spin it down and separate out kind of the, the bad stuff from the good stuff and inject the good stuff back in. Um, so there's a lot of good data that, that, that is, that, that can be helpful. Um, so this, uh, this is very, this question was just posted there too. Yeah. More in depth, you know, very timely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and PRP could be a whole nother talk, but yeah, exactly. I, I'm becoming a believer. Uh, I, I really do think there's a lot of utility to it, especially with this kind of thing and, and other tendonitis, things like that, because the steroid is really just not a good tool. It's just, it's outdated. It, yeah. it really, I worry a lot about its degradation to the tissues. And there's some good data to suggest that it can increase the risk of infection if you do surgery soon after an injection, because the whole goal of a cortisone injection or steroid is to tamper the inflammatory system. Well, you need that inflammatory system to respond to bacteria and infection, things like that, if you have surgery down the road. So um, there's plenty of data suggests that we should be careful about the cortisone injections. And that's why I don't offer it to people if they have a higher grade tear. Okay. So yeah, that's a great breakdown of, of the of the non-operative methods to uh, to treat rotator cuff injuries and just other stuff associated with the soldier, with the shoulders. So let's talk about the the operative management now. Yeah, so kind of going to the operative stuff. So for those that fail non-operative management when they have impingement or subacromial bursitis, they they have maybe some rotator cuff tendonitis, but not any big full thickness tears. I will offer them arthroscopic surgery to essentially go in and clean out that bursal tissue to smooth out, shave down any bone spurs and do an acromioplasty, which is basically a fancy word for shaving the bone of the undersurface of the acromion to increase the space, that subacromial space, increase that space for that rotator cuff to, to live and breathe. Um, depending on their other pathology, if they have some AC joint arthritis, I'll go in and debride or clean out that joint. If they're having biceps problems, I'll do a, either a tenotomy, which is just cutting the biceps, or a tenodesis or a reattachment procedure of the biceps, because oftentimes that's involved in this whole process. So, um, but then of course, for those that have either high grade partial tears or full thickness tears, then I do an arthroscopic repair of the rotator cuff. And certainly we could go into the, the details and the technical aspects of what that means. But, but it, but really is, it's, you know, that, that tendon that tears away from the bone and I go back in and, and my goal is to sew it back to the bone where it came from. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And that's, that's, that's very interesting stuff. And, you know, I, I love that you mentioned that's after all the non-operative mechanisms have failed. So that's, um, it's, you know, it's good to hear, you know, more orthopedic surgeons saying that and, you know, trying out a lot of those non-operative mechanisms first. Um, so yeah, that was a great breakdown of everything. And I guess to, to wrap up and before we answer more of these questions, 
just curious, just any interesting athlete cases or just any cases in general related, related to the um, rotator cuff that you want to speak about? Yeah, um, that's a good question, kind of more athlete. Uh, so what we see oftentimes, so somebody I think asked about labral pathology, things like that. So kind of talking about shoulder dislocation. So younger patients, when they dislocate their shoulder, typically tear and injure their labrum. Well, well, a little bit older recreational athletes, weekend warriors, if they have a dislocation, you really have to look at the rotator cuff because that often can be torn. And then likely, again, it's because of an age factor. That rotator cuff is just not as young and resilient anymore. And so you have that dislocation. You oftentimes get tears of the rotator cuff when there's a dislocation. So, um, you know, oftentimes I will see, you know, athletes, recreational athletes who have a dislocation in their 30s or 40s. And then they have a rotator cuff tear, which is kind of the younger side for rotator cuff injuries. I just did a, a surgery yesterday on a guy who had a superior labrum tear and had some partial tearing of his, of his rotator cuff as well. Um, so so you, you just have to make sure that you really look at the whole picture because these rotator cuff tears can be involved in many other things and vice versa. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, let's, let's jump into some questions that, you know, Guys, keep using the, um, there's a question bubble at the, at, the, at the bottom there. And that way, everybody can see the questions that are asked and I can put it up on the screen. But let's just dive into a few of these now. I'm going to start with, um, so Eric Velez-Chua asked, how do you know if the fascia connecting the shoulder to the lower back is causing stability issues? The fascia connecting the shoulder to the lower back? Yeah. Like, like scapular type pain? I believe that's the direction he's headed. Yeah, that's that's kind of what, what kind of cues in my mind, at least, is, mm -hmm. is you know, because the scapula is what's connecting the shoulder girdle to the rib cage or to, to the spine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to do, a, you know, your full examination of the patient. So if they start getting a lot more pain way posterior, way in the back, I will go behind them and watch them actively range their shoulder and see if there's any scapular asymmetry. And Obviously, it's easier to see on slender patients, yeah. but you can even put your hands on their scapula and feel them moving in space. And sometimes, you know, one will wing way out and one's totally compensated. And, and so that's part of your physical exam and your history of, okay, pinpointing what's, what's going on in there. And yeah. again, certainly rotator cuff stuff can cause scapular stuff and vice versa. So you have to yeah. tease that out. The, the connection there, for sure. And then moving on, another question, um, Caramel. T-Swista, are there any movements you tell your patients to stay away from to minimize or to minimize doing post-surgery? Yeah. So um, even pre-surgery, you know, the overhead stuff, I try to, you know, get them to limit. And then especially those impingement motions. So that Hawkins movement. So if they're doing a lot of this stuff or a lot of straight overhead stuff, that's causing that impingement. I, you know, I, I, I tell them to, to be mindful of those sorts of things. My goal ultimately though, isn't to hold them back from doing anything. So, you know, a period of time, period of rest, but then eventually I want them to get back to their, to their activities right. after surgery. If it's just a debridement, uh, meaning just kind of scraping bone stuff away, clearing out the bursa, things like that. After the first couple of weeks, when they get their range of motion back, I don't limit them as far as strengthening, or ranges of motion. Cause again, my goal is for them to get back to, to all the motions that they want. And uh, the same goes for a rotator cuff. It just takes longer. Cause I need time. You know, we need biologic time for those, 
mm-hmm. tendons to heal back. But once they are, and once you get your strength and your motion back, I, like I, I let them go. I don't have any restrictions. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Katie do it. Do you see a fair about uh, a fair amount of degenerative labral tears when you're operating on someone with a chronic rotator cuff tear? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and th- you know, that's kind of a question of, well, is, is that just an age thing? Because most of the time when I'm doing a rotator cuff repair, they're a little bit older in age. So do they just have degenerative label stuff? But, um, and one thing I didn't talk about is the benefits of arthroscopic surgery versus open surgery. One of the benefits for arthroscopic surgery is I can go into the joint itself, the ball and socket joint where the labrum is and take a look. And if there's degenerative tearing there, I can clean that up, smooth that out. I don't look to repair it or, or stabilize it or anything because that's not why they're there. That's not their problem. But if it's degenerative, if there's flaps and things around, I, I try to clean that up because I think that can be a pain generator. Yeah. And then she followed up with a with a further question. I don't know if you could see it. I pinned it on the screen. Oh, yeah. After rotator cuff repair, a lot of patients complain of pain in the anterior and middle deltoid versus the actual repair site. So I guess my first question, is it arthroscopic or is it open? open surgery goes through the anterior or the anterolateral deltoid. Um, So that certainly could be a reason why. Um, Another reason why, at least arthroscopically, is, um, you know, to do the surgery, you have to run a lot of fluid through the joint and you do a lot of cleanup. And certainly sometimes that that deltoid can get involved in a little bit of that cleanup and can can get extra fluid in there. Um, Depending on where the surgeon puts their portals to go in and out of the shoulder, that can go through the deltoid. So that can certainly cause irritation. So at least when I do it, I try to minimize the size of my portals and I try to minimize the time, the amount of times I go in and out of the deltoid or in and out of the shoulder. So that can certainly be a reason why. Um, there's lots of reasons. I think anterior, it also depends, you know, what do they do with the biceps? Is the biceps still there? Did it get reattached? Did it get reattached inside the shoulder or outside the shoulder? There's lots of factors. So. When I suspect at all that the biceps is involved, I do a tenodesis procedure where I remove the biceps from inside the joint and I reattach it completely outside the joint. And I do what we call a subpectoral tenodesis. So it puts it way down lower into the, into the humerus. It's not up top anymore in the shoulder. It's down lower. It doesn't change the biomechanics. It doesn't change any strength or weakness, but it gets it completely out of the shoulder so that I know that's not a pain generator anymore. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. That was a yeah. great answer there and a very insightful question. Thanks for, for asking that. Yeah. I hope those were great questions. So, um, photo rain, what do you find is the most effective method for recovery for shoulder tendonitis and not the VE or okay. So he's also adds on and says the smallest movements cause a huge setback. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes what I, what I use is a combination of the injection. So whether it's cortisone or PRP and the therapy, because what I, what I believe and what I tell patients is that that cortisone is going to give you short-term relief and that's going to help you get to therapy and get through therapy. And then therapy is what's going to give you your prolonged relief, your permanent relief. Cause that injection at some point in time is going to wear off, but that injection can help you get over that hump to get through those small movements or those small setbacks so that you can really start to progress in your therapy because the most effective method to recover from a tendonitis or or a partial thickness tear is physical rehabilitation. So to get over that hump, I'll prescribe, or I'll, you know, I'll perform an injection, or sometimes I'll prescribe kind of a weak course of 
anabaxal, a one-week court, or not anabax, anti-inflammatories, a one-week regiment of usually ibuprofen, but sometimes prescription type stuff. But mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of different adjuncts that I can throw in there to help people get over the hump. Okay. Okay. So we, we have a few more questions. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll answer those and we'll, you know, keep it going. What's your timeline looking like, Doug? Uh, Got to get going in five minutes. It's date okay. night with the wife. So. Okay. So yeah, let's run through these. So uh, the patients usually regain, regain full function after rotator cuff repair. Yeah, it's a good question. So I think kind of a loaded question, right? Because what's, what's the definition of, of return to full function? And, and I get asked this all the time, you know, what's the timeline for, for full recovery? And, and I always ask, okay, well, what's the definition of full recovery or full function? So, um, you know, the, the, it, I would say it depends. It depends on the size of the tear that they have. Uh, it depends on how long that tear has been there. Um, so it depends on a lot of factors, but, uh, for kind of your run of the mill rotator cuff repair, um, there was a, a, a couple of studies that came out recently that looked at patient outcomes and both of them said that it takes about six months for patients to really feel like they're back, they're back to them. And I wouldn't call that a hundred percent recovery. Cause I think people still get even better eight months, nine months, a year out from their surgery, whether it's rotator cuff or other surgeries. Um, but by about that six month mark, most patients will come back and tell their surgeon, I feel great. I feel really good. I'm back to most things, almost everything I want to do. I would do this over again. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll, 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 um, we'll have time for one more. Um, I think this is a good one to, to, to end up on. And it's a bit, a bit personal, you know, outside of rotator cuff injuries, but this, uh, I think, let's talk about that. Sorry, say that again. I think this is a good one to end on here. If it's up on the screen, so which one? Well, I got a, I got yeah. a personal one from Scott yeah. Wilkie. So, what's up, Scott? Um, is it if this full thickness one is ruled out as MRI still recommended? No, which one so did you pin here? What, what made you want to specialize? Oh, in this that's it. Area? That's from Scott. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. um. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. So obviously being an athlete myself, so I'm being involved with my own injuries, but, you know, being around the athletic training room and watching other athletes get hurt and whether it's getting back from physiotherapy or with the athletic trainer or eventually surgery. And then I've just always been interested in anatomy, biomechanics. And then, I, you know, I like to work with my hands. I like to fix things. I like to, to, to make things better. So kind of all that, you know, culmination of things really led me right to orthopedics and right to sports mm -hmm. medicine. So for me, it was, it was kind of a no brainer, honestly. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. You're pretty much an honorary Canadian, eh? With the, with That's the right. Hockey. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hockey, even you lacrosse, that. you know, okay, that's a yeah, Canadian there sport. There right? you go. But yeah. uh, thanks. Thanks once again, Dr. Ridley. This was a, this was a great session. Um, everybody, I see there's a few more questions. Um, I took note of all of them. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll follow up and get back to you guys uh, and, me and message you with some answers there. But yeah, thanks, for, yeah. thanks for joining us. You guys, you guys have my Instagram handle now. So honestly, shoot me, shoot me messages, you know, sure. questions, whatever you got. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sporadically on there. So I'll try to respond to things I can. But yeah, mm -hmm. shoot me, you know, personal DMs or whatever. And, yeah. um, you know, my website has some other information on rotator cuff tears and things like that. Um, I have some videos on the anatomy if you want to go back to the anatomy stuff. And then I have a, a handout too on my website um, talking more about rotator cuff tears and some of the things I didn't have time to get into. Mm -hmm. so.
All right. Definitely need another session, but uh, thanks once again. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll wrap up. All right.